Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. One other announcement, and that is next Sunday, right after this service, we're going to have a business meeting. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? It's going to be thrilling and exciting. It will be brief, but uh, we do have to do that in order to vote in new members. We have a budget we need to talk about. But the members, if you can join us just for a few minutes after the service next week right here. Now, another major announcement is my entire family is here, right here. And I'm so glad. Would you give them a round of applause? This is my mother. My mother, my brother David, his wife Alice, my sister Linda, her husband Bill, and my sister Brenda and her husband Brad. They have come down for this weekend to enjoy beautiful Delray Beach and to worship with you. We have in our family an incredible heritage, and uh, I'm going to lose it here. Um, (laughs) We lost our dad 18 years ago, and uh, we're still enjoying the heritage of a godly family. And I want to encourage you, when you think about children's ministry, when you think about youth ministry, when you think about couples ministry, this is what it's all about. Giving people a heritage that uh, when you're as old as me, you have an incredible family that would come and worship with you and celebrate Jesus Christ. So thank you all for being here. And uh, um, just great to have you in the house. Great to have many of you. Some of you are visitors, first-timers. want to make you aware, please see me, or, or if you come and see me right outside the, the double doors right this way, I'll have a gift for you if you will fill out a card so that we may harass you and call you and ask you if you would like to extend your auto warranty. That's what we're going to do. Uh, no, actually, we won't do any of that. However, we would like to connect with you, give the opportunity to know what's going on here at First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. Well, we're in a series in the book of Nehemiah. We have been walking through Ezra and Nehemiah as we consider the idea of rebuilding the church and rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding worship. And many of you are coming back and have been coming back, and it's so great to have a sense of worship today. My, my mom and sister were last here last March on the first day when we closed, our first day when all we could do was online. So it's great to have you gathered here. I want you to know, yes, I have been vaccinated two times. And some people say, why, Pastor Steve? You already had the virus. Well, I really wanted to experience every aspect of COVID. <laughs> so I, at first, I tried to prevent it, and then we got it. And then we got through it. We slept for three weeks. And then after that, we've been tested, not one, but seven times, just to make sure that we understood the whole aspect of COVID. And now we have had been vaccinated so that we can be as safe as possible. But seriously, I honestly just want to be able to interact with as many people as I can. So that's why I've been vaccinated. Julie's been vaccinated. And uh, I'm hoping that I'm able to use this arm at some point in the near future. (laughs) No, 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 it's really fine. I can do anything. Um, But we're in Nehemiah, and our series is called The Rebuilder. The Rebuilder. And today we're going to talk about a message called The Secret Assessment. The Secret Assessment. 
Have you ever had a secret shopper in your business or in your job? Someone who comes in pretending to be a customer and they're really just evaluating everything that you do. Or maybe you've seen that show, Undercover Boss, on CBS, where supposedly, and I kind of think it's a little bit made up, honestly, but I like the premise, um, where the CEO comes and, and he dresses up it's like you, in a disguise and he pretends to be an entry-level employee. And the idea is that he sees his organization from a different viewpoint, different perspective. And so that he understands what it's like to work for the company, to represent them. He understands what customer service is about, and he sees the challenges, and hopefully he improves the customer, uh, improves the, the company's processes. And that he, ultimately, they usually find a worthy worker to try to reward, and everything ends wonderfully, and people get new cars and education and stuff. But really, the point is that he gets to see things he wouldn't normally see if he were known. It's a secret assessment. More and more in our culture today, we see these assessments happening, and it's, it's getting more, uh, advanced analytics is becoming more and more of a thing as people seek to have more information about what's actually happening. It happens in sports like baseball. Remember the whole money ball thing? It's still going on. Advanced analytics is dominating the way the game is played. But it's also happening in other areas of life as uh, artificial intelligence is used in areas like tech sales. Two of our, our two sons are in tech sales, and it is amazing the amount of information they gather about their calls as they're interacting with a customer. And they get this report after each call that tells them how they did. And it measures things like, how many times did you say, um... What was the percentage that you talked versus the percentage that you listened? And I was wanting to let the wives know this is available for husbands as well. So just let you know. We have some volunteers and they'll listen to your conversation and they'll give you a report. But actually what it, what it does is it, do you know what the percentage is? If you're the salesperson, just so you know, according to the program Gong, the percentage should be 46% listen, 54% talk. It also measures how many times you ask a question. How many questions do you have in an average sales call? And the optimum number is, apparently, I don't know where they got this, 13. 13 questions. And this information is very helpful, and it basically, if you're selling the same product as the guy in the desk next to you, if you follow and you listen to these analytics, you should have similar results to everyone else selling the same product. But only if you actually put it in practice. And only if you get this perspective and you get this data and you decide to use it, and only if you're told how to use it. Assessment is everywhere. And it's happening today in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9, as he makes a secret assessment of the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. Remember what's happening. Nehemiah has had this sense of, I've got to go back to Jerusalem. The, the city is, is vulnerable. The walls are broken down. The gates are broken down. He, he weeps. He prays. He asks the king to send him, and the king does. And the, he says, the hand of the Lord is on me as I return to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. We pick the story up in verse 9. Word of God says this, 
Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Let me pause there. Here's what's happening. Nehemiah comes back to Israel, or comes to Israel for the first time, for, comes back to Jerusalem for the first time, and the king has sent some troops with him, and he shows up and he arrives ready to do his work. Now, we kind of have to wonder about that, first of all, because the history of Israel is that what? That God rescued them from Pharaoh, destroyed Pharaoh's army, marched them across the wilderness, and created a nation. But now they have been taken into exile, and their return from exile is different. God doesn't destroy Artaxerxes and his army. God doesn't create a nation. Rather, God brings his people to function, to worship, to rebuild the city, still being a part of another nation. You may say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the thing. Here's what's happening. The people of God will soon not be limited to one nation. He's laying the groundwork for when Jesus will come and he'll bring his kingdom on earth through his church that will cross all national boundaries. And that his people, his church, will be filled with the nations. Hence our gathering today, praise the Lord. If we were to go around the room, I think I count about 15 or 20 nations present today. That's the greatness of our God. He doesn't create a new nation. Rather, he causes his nation to function within other nations and across national boundaries so that everyone is welcome. Whosoever will may come. I love how you see this in the Old Testament as we get ready for Jesus coming. This is actually one of the later events that happened in the Old Testament, probably around less than 500 years before Jesus would himself come. So he arrives and he brings some soldiers, didn't request them, but Artaxerxes sent them, and there's opposition. Sanballat, don't ever name your kid Sanballat, incidentally, because it's kind of like Jezebel, you know, he's someone that you just don't want to name. Um, they don't like it. Shouldn't be a surprise. Every time God does something, there's going to be opposition, Amen. People who say, I don't want the church to, to thrive. I don't want the people of Israel to thrive. There's always opposition, which tells you why they need to rebuild the city, right? They need some walls. Verse 11, Nehemiah speaking, So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. He arrives, probably meets some people, gets rested up, recovers from jet lag. Um, verse 12, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. So what he's doing is he is taking this kind of stealthy, undercover boss approach 
to assess the situation in the city. What is it really like? I've heard people say this. I've heard that. I've heard things are a mess. I need to go find myself what is actually happening. Every leader has to make these decisions. Who do I trust and what do I need to see firsthand? He says, I need to go see these things firsthand. And I don't want to go with the officials of the city because what? They will show me what I want to see, right? We have kind of a little joke in our marriage. Well, we have a lot of them, but one of them is that if one of us does something a little bit special, like let's say I wash the cars and detailed them, I want to go get Julie to show her. I want to show her the good things I did, right? And we celebrate that for each other. Now, we know we're doing that, but it's just kind of a way. It's not that she wouldn't notice. It's that it's more fun if she notices while I'm there, right? I don't want her to get in the car and go, oh, this is nice and clean, and miss the celebration, right? See, we need to um, have the opportunity to see things firsthand and to not be shown only what we want to see. So Nehemiah does this by night. He pulls his undercover boss thing, and he goes and checks out the city. And it's every bit as bad as he thought it would be. The gates are torn down. They're burned. The, the walls are broken down. The city that is supposed to be the glorious representation of God that's supposed to bless the whole world. This city, yes, there's worship happening in the temple, but the city where the people are supposed to be living out their role as the people of God, this, this special people that are supposed to be showing the world what God is like, they're living in an area that's vulnerable, where there really aren't any boundaries, where they're at risk, and there's derision there. They, they're made fun of, and the city is not thought of as great. And this is what had broken Nehemiah's heart to begin with. Because he knew the mission of God for God's people was to show the greatness of God, and they're not able to do that because the, the city looks ridiculous. See, the walls were supposed to be there to allow the people to safely be and be trained to be who they're supposed to be. And the gates were supposed to be the place that the army would march from. It's the place of strength, the place of power. It's where the government would take place. It's where commerce would happen. It's where they would interact and impact the world, and those gates are broken down. Even though worship was happening, they weren't really able to be the people of God. And so Nehemiah comes to the officials, and he brings his report. And he says this, verse 16, And the officials did not know where I had gone or where I was going, and had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also for the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. It's a great meeting. He went in with a plan. He comes out with a, with a great plan and everyone's on board. But it kind of makes you wonder, what exactly had those officials been doing all this time? They had come back in the time of Ezra, but they had not rebuilt the walls. 
it wasn't news to them that the walls were broken down. This was not a surprise to them because they had been living in this reality. You know, sometimes we just stop seeing things accurately, especially if we don't think we can change them. They were living in the vulnerable state of having a city whose walls were broken down. They were living in a place where they weren't really able to carry out being the people of God. But it seems like they probably got used to it. It was just how things were. It's all we can really do. We can't really do anything about this. And so Nehemiah comes and he tells them what they already know. But he also tells them we can do something about it. And the people hear him say, the hand of the king is on me. And he has sent me. And we're going to rebuild this together. He's giving us the resources. And we're going to rebuild the city walls. He gives them something they can do to regain the glory of the city so that they can be who God made them to be. And they jump on board. Yeah, we'll do that. Let's go. We have the opportunity to do what we've always wanted to do. And you're going to lead us to do it. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. Verse 19. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant, and Geshem, the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Why did you show up in church on Sunday morning in South Florida when there's so many other good things you could be doing? There's fishing, there's, there's golf, there's beach, there's reading the paper, there's having brunch, right? Are you the only one that leaves for church in the morning on Sunday morning dressed up and people look at you like, where are you going? The world jeers at God's people. But I love what Nehemiah says in verse 20. He says, Then I replied, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. And I hope that's our heart today. The God of heaven will make us prosper. doesn't depend on you. In spite of you, as a matter of fact, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And then he tells them, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You don't have anything to do with what's happening here. Your, your opinion, honestly, doesn't matter because the God of heaven is going to cause us to be successful. You know, so many times today we think we've got to fit ourselves into what culture will allow no we don't we have to be true to the god of heaven because he is the one who will cause his church to prosper just like the city of jerusalem so i know what you're thinking steve what does this have to do with us well know this that the church also must have walls and the church must have gates Jesus Christ addressed this issue of gates in uh, Matthew chapter 16. He asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? Who do they think that I am? And Peter says, in verse, eight, verse 16, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, 
And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's what Jesus is saying. Not I'm going to build this my church on you, Peter, but I'm going to build my church on the reality that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the foundation of what the church is all about. It has to be about Jesus first. That's where our mission statement is only three words. Make Jesus known. It has to be all about Jesus first and foremost. That's the foundation of everything that we do. But then Jesus makes that statement. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, the gates of a city were its position of power. The army that would come out of that gate, the strength of Satan's city will not prevail against his church. I love that. But a church has to make sure that its walls are intact. And as we come back from COVID, we're rebuilding our walls. And we want to make sure that our church is what it should be, biblically speaking. Because there are many opportunities for churches to get off track, isn't it? And as we come back, we kind of have to think of what kind of church do we want to have? How are we going to exist? Are we changing anything? And I just want to tell you, we're going to be faithful to the Word of God. And I want to use the example of the seven churches in Romans, I mean in Revelation 2 and 3. I'm not going to do a great study of that, but I want us to see some of the challenges and some of the walls that we must build if we're going to be faithful to the call of Jesus Christ to be His church. We have to build some walls. One of the walls we have to build is the wall He talks about in the church of Ephesians. Church of Ephesus, excuse me, in uh, Revelation chapter 2. He says this to them. He says, you have, I have something against you. You've left your first love. And you would think as a church we would never do that, right? We're all focused on loving Jesus, but it's so easy, isn't it? For churches to get focused on something else. Churches to get focused on how great its programs are, um, how much respect it has in the community. It's very easy for us to get off track and to forget that Jesus is what we are all about. We can even at times be just excited to be together and start to worship that rather than Jesus Christ himself. And I want you to know I am thrilled to be together. We're only together for the purpose of loving Jesus and loving others, right? So the first wall we have to make sure we have in place is that Jesus is number one, that we love him above anything else. The second wall we have to have in place is the, the church at Smyrna had a fear of persecution. And as you watch our culture, as you listen to the news, there's a lot of things that could start to scare us a little bit. As people who hold to the word of God as truth began to be marginalized and canceled and all those other kinds of things, we shouldn't be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate victor. Where is church? The wall that we have to hold up is that we're not afraid of persecution. We're trusting Jesus no matter what. Another wall we have to rebuild and maintain is the wall of sexual purity. This was a problem in many of the churches in Revelation. As churches began to bow to society and say that, you know what? We're just going to have to get used to the sexual mores of our time. 
But no, the church has to, has to hold up the standard of the Bible, which says very simply that sexual relations belong between a committed marital relationship between one man and one woman. We have to hold that standard high because Jesus said, if you don't, I will come fight you with the sword of my tongue. That's a pretty scary prospect, isn't it? It's not that we sitting there, we want to be mean to people. We want to say, this is what Jesus said. I want to give you grace and I want to love you and say that there's forgiveness for all sin. We also in this need to make sure that we are loving in how we do that. So many times people have been harmed, hurt, abused, badly led, and they find themselves with desires they never wanted. And we need to be loving to them. Help them understand that that can happen. But that we love Jesus Christ and that He loves you and He wants to give you this life of innocence and purity no matter what's happened in the past. Church has to have that standing rather than just being, being nasty to everyone. We need to be truthful and say this is, what God, this is what God's way is. This is how you get to follow Him. There has to be a wall of sexual purity for the church to function be protected to grow and develop. There also has to be a wall of solid doctrine. So much of churches are deviating from sound doctrine. We will always, as a church, have the Bible as our authority. This is our statement of faith, although we do adhere to the... um, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, you can look that up online. If you wonder what our statement of faith is, it, you will see all the things that we believe followed by many, many scriptures that back them up. Doctrine is important. Theology does matter. And let me just give you a couple of key points that do matter that is really under attack right now. Let me tell you, unless the Holy Spirit is within you, the truth is not inside you. So many people will say, well, that's your truth, that's your truth, this is my truth, and the truth is kind of centered around the individual, which means that there is no objective truth. This is the truth. The Holy Spirit within me is the truth. We will hold to sound doctrine that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that he died on a cross for my sins, So that when I repent of my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. These are just a few of the points of the basics of theology that we will hold to and protect our church so that we can be the people of God and we can bless the world. Another wall that we will build is that we will be alive and not just pretend to be alive. Church at Smyrna You appear to be alive, but you're dead. You ever been in a place like that? A lot of activity, a lot of people, a lot going on, but everyone's exhausted. As churches, we can trade the Holy Spirit for activity, trade the Holy Spirit for programs. But if God's Spirit is not working in our church, if lives are not being changed, If people aren't repenting, if we're not seeing people come to know Jesus, the church is is dead. We will always evaluate ourselves. We need to make sure we're looking. Our lives change. Are people repenting? Are people growing? Are they developing? And then there's my favorite, which is Laodicea. 
In Laodicea, they had a problem, and they were a church known as being lukewarm, like a bad handshake. Remember handshakes? Remember what those were like? Someone gave you kind of a bad handshake. You're like, oh, I really wish I just kept my hands in my pockets. You know what I mean? Um, they were known as being lukewarm. They thought they were rich, but they were poor. And what's happening to them is they, they couldn't figure out who they wanted to be. And some feel like it came from, and the analogy came from two sources of water, drinking water. One source came from the mountains, and it was cool and refreshing. And if you needed to be refreshed, it was amazing, right? It was perfect. It was great. And so you could be refreshed, and a church should be that, right? It should be refreshing. It should be a sense of, I love seeing you, and I love, I love sensing the Holy Spirit through you, and I feel refreshed when I'm at church. And the other side of, the, of town, they had this water source from a warm mineral source of water, which as long as it's warm, it's, it's life-giving, it's, it's healthy, the minerals were good for you, and, and you could, you could kind of get healed by that. And that was great, and sometimes a church needs to be that, right? We need to be healthy, we need to be warm, we need to have a sense of, of helping people heal, we need to help people repent and follow Jesus Christ. And that's great, churches need to be both, but they can't be both at the same time. Because you, when you take cold water and warm water that's laden with minerals, it's disgusting. And nothing really works. Church of Laodicea was lukewarm because it couldn't decide which it wanted to be. And they tried to be all things to all people, and they failed at being anything to anyone. And as a result, and this is the picture that you see often, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens to me, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. That's a picture that I think is so sad because can you imagine a church where Jesus Christ isn't already on the inside? See, if we're going to build a church with walls, we need to build a church with walls that has Jesus on the inside. That needs to be our goal. But there's one more church. The church of Philadelphia. See, we built walls now we need some gates. See, we don't want to be a church that's just so inward that we never connect with the community, right? A place where there's worship that happens, but where, where no one really ever connects outside to glorify Jesus Christ, where we kind of just become inbred and we really kind of get sick. There needs to be a gate. The Church of Philadelphia said, you have an open door. We build good walls. God gives us opportunity. We need to be faithful to reach out into our community through our school, through our church in Jamaica, through our relationships in the community, through your jobs, through your families. That's when the gates of the church are effective to move forward, to bless the world. Let me ask you, do you want a church with walls? You want to be a part of a church that has solid walls where the people can be developed and has gates that can impact the world. See, that's who we need to be as we rebuild, as we seek to be a blessing to the world. See, you are the church. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask each of you to pray for our church to be this kind of church. 
Every church has holes. Every church has challenges. But we want to be this kind of church so that God can use us to bless the world so that we can see South Florida impacted by our church. Are you okay with this? Sometimes when we start talking about these issues, sometimes people go, I don't really want to be that way. See, this is the only way that we can bless the world. If we exist as a church with broken down walls, we will melt into the culture. And we will not be able to bless the world. Some of you today, though, may not have ever received the gift of salvation. You may not have ever said, Jesus, I I repent of my sin. I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to become your child. You may have been in church a long time, many times, but never have said yes to Jesus. You've just kind of gone along with everyone else. And as I've described the church today, something may have happened within you. I urge you today, say yes to Jesus. Repent. Say, God, I I can't be good enough, but I'm so glad that you, Jesus, died so that I could be part of your nation that goes across national lines. It's as simple as a prayer to say, Jesus, I I receive your gift. I, I repent of my sins. Would you save me? I would love to spend some time with you after the service. I'll be outside at the Welcome Center when we're done. But now I would ask, would you bow with me as we pray for our church? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.